Hey, my name is Jason. I get to be the pastor of Church in the Wild. And I just wanted to thank you for choosing to jump on here with us. We have sermons. We have more than just sermons, though. We have dialogue, conversations, interest of members of our church, my interest, so much more. All of the things that make us the wild. Thanks for jumping on. You matter. Man, it's such a good day. I'm, I'm so excited to um, just, just preach today. And um, every now and then we do what we call culture-defining sermons. And um, sometimes I preach them once or twice in a row or we'll, we'll do them every year. Uh, this is one of those sermons that we've done before, but we believe that it like defines who we want to be as a culture, who we're trying to be. Um, what our goals and our visions are. And um, we got this new series that we're doing called Give. And before you panic, it's not all about money, all right? You can see just everyone like, oh no. Um, it's things that we give to each other and things that we can give to God and to each other through this month of thanksgiving. And um, today we're gonna talk about this concept of give compassion, give compassion. And uh, I'm excited about it. If you've got a Bible, Matthew chapter 14, Matthew chapter 14, while you turn there, there's a couple things. Uh, men, November 14th, we have an activity at one o'clock. You can see Dan um, or myself, we can get you set up for that. It's gonna be a good time. We're gonna talk about uh, what it means to be a Christian man in that, um, as a part of that activity, but we're gonna have food. We're gonna have a lot of good times. It's gonna be really, really fun. Uh, we have winter hats for sale still. Uh, base camp is back. And then there's wildlife groups tonight. Um, young adults, ours is actually here tonight because Brooke Nagorski is in Sedona, Arizona, enjoying the sunshine. Good for her. She normally hosts, so we're going to have it here. Um, and then uh, there's some families in our church that just had children. Just, one of them just had a brand new baby, and um, they've been playing this really safe where they wanted to make sure they were very healthy, but they've been watching online, and they've been a real part of our church. Um, throughout this, so we want to be a blessing to them, to be a help to them. So if you um, can make some food, if you can make some dinners, uh, that's not an easy thing uh, to have a baby, especially in this time, uh, especially in this year, <laughs> nothing is easy this year. Um, uh, please see Sherry Stevenson, just text her, talk to her about that, that would be just a huge help. And then, uh, one really cool announcement is that um, starting next Sunday, we're gonna be able to come through the front of the building. All right, so yeah, I'm excited about that. Uh, man, yeah, we can, we can clap for that. I think it's good. Um, we are going to be able to come through the front and park in the front and, and use that, that part of the building. Um, we've been kind of waiting um, to do that. So uh, I think we've had about 12 people so far who have uh, come to church and then couldn't find us because we were in the back. So I'm excited that people will be able to walk in through the front again. Uh, Matthew chapter 14. Verse 13. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowd heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place. The day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the village to buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. I love Jesus. 
<laughs> he cracks me up, man. You read this? Like, that's a savage move right there. And they don't need to go anywhere. Feed them. Like, I love it. They said to him, we only have five loaves here and two fishes. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down in the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. The disciples gave them to the crowd. They all ate and were satisfied. And then look at this. They took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. It's just a powerful, powerful passage that I cannot just, I love unpacking it. There's so much to it. So let's pray and we'll jump into it. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are not enough and we need you. Will you meet us here? Can we encounter you? Can we for a moment forget politics, forget masks or no masks? Can we forget the divisions that seem to be just tearing this country apart? And can we for a moment meet you? Can we hear from you in a world that's trying to drown your voice out? In the midst of our fears and our anxieties and our divisions, can we just breathe and encounter you? Will you speak to us? Will you tell us what to do? We are all just broken people trying to meet with you. So Lord, we ask that you make this possible today, that you are felt, you are experienced, you are worshiped, you are talked about, you are praised, you are glorified. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Have you ever been sick? It's okay to raise your hand. I'm not going to call you up here. You ever been sick? Okay. All right. I feel like that should be everyone. Okay. All right. I love when I ask questions because people are like, trick question? Trick? I don't know. <laughs> it's not. Um, man, I think there's definitions. There's like differences in sick. Like there's, yeah, I'm sick. I don't feel good. So I'm going to watch football and my team's going to lose and Brandon's going to wear a Michigan State shirt and just rub it in my face and I'm just going to bring it up the whole day. Like I'm just, you know. Uh, uh, you know, hey, hey uh, there's, there's like, I'm kind of sick, but not really sick. Like, I just don't feel good. Then there's like sick. And then there's this story that I told the young adults last Sunday night in group, uh, where it's like that kind where you're really sick. Like where you think to yourself for a hot moment, like, I don't know if I'm going to come out of this one. Uh, that happened to me a long time ago in a land far, far away called Indiana. And I was uh, working, I was doing... Five, uh, 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. doing construction, and then from 5 p.m. to 10 p.m. working on a freight dock, unloading freight, trying to marry my wife, like just trying to scrape up every penny to buy that girl a ring and trick her into saying yes. And I was working like just countless hours. And one night, they asked me at FedEx Freight, they said, hey, we know you started at like 5 p.m., but would you work until 5 a.m.? Because it's the holidays and we just need you to work like this whole, and, then, and I'm like, yeah, let's do it, let's do it. So I was working, working hard, and uh, man, it got like 3 a.m. and all of a sudden I was like, ooh, I don't really feel very good. And then it got like 4 a.m. and I was like, well, I really don't feel good. And then it got 5 a.m. and I was like, yeah, I'm sick. Like I'm not just not feeling good, like I'm very, very sick. So I started, I told my boss, dude, I gotta roll. So I got my, tr my truck, I had this old silver F-150 and I was driving home and I got to a stop sign 
and uh, my bowels began to move. Like I began to have a real problem. And so I opened the door, to spare you all the details, I opened the door and, you know, vomited. And as I did that, one of Indiana's finest, who's there to serve and protect, started whoop, whoop, whoop. And uh, he walked up to me and said, sir, what are you doing parked at a stop sign? And I said, well, it's very clear that I'm vomiting, sir. And he was like, well, you're not allowed to park at a stop sign. Here's a ticket. He wrote me a $250 ticket and then told me, you seem sick, you should go home. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm very sick, like, don't write me a ticket, are you kidding me? I was so upset. I spent the next 10 days on the floor of my apartment with a heater and like hugging it and blankets wrapped around me and literally just my, my intestines were moved every hour for most of those days. There became a point in those days where I thought, I don't know if I'm gonna survive this. Um, I had two roommates, they were both awesome guys, but they were certainly not health professionals. So they said to me about three days in, you need food and you need energy. Come downstairs, we got food for you. I went downstairs, they had served up some fresh pizza and they had Mountain Dew for me. And uh, boy, I, you know, I was like a 23 year old single guy. I'm like, this should work. Yes, let's do this. So I ate a bunch of pizza, drank a bunch of Mountain Dew, and then spent the next seven days uh, very, very sick from the results of eating what I ate until mercifully my wife sent me a box in the mail. She was dating me at the time with like Gatorade, chicken noodle soup, crackers, letters saying like, please don't eat what you're eating. Please do this. Please get better. And uh, after I it was like 12 days later I began to like oh wow I feel good and finally I came out of that and walked out of my room like a whole new man now what does that have to do with Jesus feeding 5,000 people it has this to do with it the Bible says Jesus when he saw these people he was moved with compassion now compassion in the Bible is a really interesting word and I'm gonna try to say it right um, it's splachnizima all right, splachnizema. You gotta get the ah, splachnizema. So let's try this. You're gonna be a master at Greek and Hebrew after this. Ready, we're all gonna try this. Ready, splachnizema. All right, one more time. Try it again, splachnizema. We'll do it one more time. Splachnizema. Okay, all right, good, good. That word is the word for compassion. And what that word means is that when you see someone else who is hurting, when you see someone who else who is sick, when you see someone else who is upset, when you see someone else who needs help, you are so moved that it makes you ill at the thought of them hurting the way that they are hurting. So when you see someone and you know they need help, the Bible says this word, this, this idea that Jesus had when he saw these people, he got so moved that it was like he was ill just from compassion for people. This idea of compassion is a really interesting word. It is so much more than just seeing the puppy or the cat with the big eyes on the commercial, in the arms of the angels. You know what I'm talking about? You've all seen that commercial at 2 a.m. and then you're like, I gotta buy a puppy. <laughs> it's so much more than that. Compassion is more than just, oh, there's a new person walking in and they probably don't know where the bathrooms are. <laughs> Stinks to be them. All right, I'm going to go to my seat. That's, that's not compassion. That's care or concern. 
Compassion is, is more than feeling bad for the mom of three trying to help her kids in the line at Kroger and you're like, someone ought to teach her how to, that's not compassion. Compassion is, is more than seeing the new young adult and just saying, boy, I hope they stick. I hope someone, help, you know, whatever, how someone helps them out. Compassion would be inviting them to lunch. It's so much more than just, boy, I feel bad for that person. They're a brand new person sitting down, man. I hope they have a good service. It is. I feel so much concern for them that I have to then go and help them. So let's talk about compassion. Number one, compassion is rarely convenient. It is rarely convenient. Let's look at this passage again. Matthew chapter 14, verse 13. I'm going to skip around a little bit. Matthew 14, 13. Now, when Jesus heard this, all right, heard what? What did he hear? Like we often just read the passage. Oh, get to the part where he feeds the people. What did he hear though? Look at Matthew 14, verse 10. This is talking about Herod. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. His disciples came and took the body and buried it, and they went and told Jesus. All right, let me, let me run this all down for you. There's a man named John. John baptized Jesus. The reason we baptize, the way we baptize, is because John baptized Jesus. John was John the Baptist. John was also the one who, when his mother heard about Jesus, she was pregnant with him. He was so excited in the womb that he literally leapt for joy at the thought of Jesus is coming. John was Jesus' cousin. He was his mentor. He was the one who said, I can't even latch up the shoe that he wears. I'm not worthy even to be in his presence. He's the one who said about Jesus, he has to increase, but I have to decrease. So in the height of his full ministry, he began to step back and regularly tell his followers to go to Jesus. This man then finds out that the King Herod is basically involved in this, this super dramatic uh, Real Housewives of, of Hollywood type of a situation. And so he tells the king, hey, you shouldn't be doing this. The, the, the girl that King Herod's involved with then gets mad, so she sends her daughter to dance in front of King Herod. He's like, wow, girl, whatever you got, I want. I'll give you half of my kingdom in exchange for it. And she says, bring me the head of John the Baptist on a silver plate. So Herod does this. Basically, he murders Jesus' mentor, discipler, and cousin for a lap dance. Now, when Jesus heard this in verse 13, did you notice what Jesus tried to do? He tried to go alone into a desolate place. When he heard that his cousin and John the Baptist was murdered, he decided, you know what, I'm going to get by myself. I'm going to go mourn. I'm going to be alone. And I'm going to spend some time just mourning. So he gets in a boat to try to go to a desolate place. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. And then look at the next verse. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and had compassion on them and healed their sick. Put yourself in Jesus' shoes for just a moment. You have a friend or a cousin or a loved one who passes away. And you're trying to, to get a little bit of time left alone. 
to just mourn, like a little bit. Like I just want to be left alone for like a good hour and just let me mourn the fact that now I also realize that my earthly ministry is about to come to a close because John passing away is the signal that this is like the beginning of the end for me and my earthly ministry. So let me be alone for a little bit and then all these people come running towards Jesus. And he not only heals them, he then decides, you know what we need to do? All these people who rushed out here to see me and didn't think enough to bring a lunch, we need to feed them. The truth is, compassion is not convenient. It's rarely ever convenient. If you are looking for a perfect time to care about somebody else, you're not going to find it. I just talked to someone a little while ago. We were talking about missions. And I was trying to explain the mission of our church, this church that will go anywhere to tell everyone about the love of Christ. And they said to me, you know, I always wanted to do a missions trip. And when I was young, I thought, oh, I'll do it when I'm older. When I got to college, I thought, well, I'll do it when I get out. When I got, when I got out of college, I said, well, me and my wife, we'll do it when we get married. When we got married, I said, well, we'll do it with our, we'll take this trip with our kids, we'll do this mission trip with our kids. And then when I had kids, I was like, you know, when I retire, I'll do this. And now I'm retired and I keep wishing that I had the energy to actually go on the mission trip that I spent my whole life waiting to do. If you wait for the perfect time to have compassion on somebody else, you will never have compassion on somebody else. True compassion cares even when it is inconvenient to care. Well, maybe when I'm married, or after we have kids, or when I get the raise, or during the holidays, or after the holidays, or after the pandemic, I'll care and I'll have compassion and I'll start to love on people after all this mess is done. But there's never a good time to have compassion. Jesus is mourning. He's trying desperately to get alone. And then he starts feeding and healing and doing all this stuff. And then people start to say, hey, uh, yeah, thank you, Jesus, for healing me. By the way, uh, where's McDonald's? Where's, where's North Star Cafe? Is that around here? Like, Because I don't really know where I'm at. And Jesus instantly begins to, you know what? We now need to feed these people. Secondly, the thing about compassion is that it costs. It costs. If you look at this story, the disciples say to him, hey, we got a plan. Let them pay for their own food. Send them away. Tell them to go home and they can pay for their food. And this is usually how we react. The disciples had ideas, but all their ideas were for somebody else to pay the price. Jesus' idea was for them to provide exactly what the people needed. The, Jesus, Jesus, the disciples said, send them away. And Jesus said, no, 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 you feed them. And we do this to the Holy Spirit. Like it's easy to, to look at the disciples and judge them because, you know, oh, they had Jesus and they didn't realize it. But we do this to the Holy Spirit all the time. So here's what happens. You'll see a person on the side of the road with a sign. And the Holy Spirit will say, you ought to witness to them and you ought to, you ought to buy them dinner. And we'll say, well, yeah, you know what? They ought to get a job. Because if they had a job, they wouldn't be in this situation. And if I give them money, they're probably going to buy drugs anyway. So I'm not going to do that. Have a good day. And we do that to the Holy Spirit regularly. We're really good at giving advice on how everybody else, you know, the government ought to take care of them. You know, the church ought to do something. But the real question is, are we really willing to pay the price that compassion demands? Compassion has a price. See, we do this, we say, um, the church should do more. The church ought to help these group of people. 
You know, last year there was a girl, she was 12 years old. I preached a sermon. She then went home, emptied her bank account, went and bought a whole bunch of bottles of water and spent the entire day walking around finding homeless people and giving water bottles out to homeless people. What we do is we say, you know what, yeah, you're, that church, you, yeah, you, people should have compassion on me, and yes, church, you should do more. And now we're going to go home and we're going to eat. That's what we typically do. I'll, let me ask you, are you willing to pay the price for compassion? Because there is a huge price. Think about the price that Jesus paid for his compassion. Yes, the disciples went without food for a hot minute, but later on we'll find out they got a lot of food. But if you think about Jesus, the price he really paid was he was feeding people who he knew were going to worship him for a little while and then demand that he be killed. This is uh, what I want to present to you today. If you have compassion, be prepared for the people you are compassionate on to be the ones who talk about you the most when your back is turned. Be prepared for the people who you give the most to to be the ones who say, you know what, you never do anything for me, I'm out of this place. That's the price of compassion. Jesus said, we're going to feed them and they're going to reject us and they're probably going to kill us all later and yet we're going to heal them and we're going to feed them. And he was willing to pay that price. If, you're, if you have true compassion, you are willing to pay the price. Number three, compassion demands action. Compassion demands action. That word again, splachnizma, means to be moved as to one's bowels, hence to be moved with compassion, to have compassion. For the bowels were thought to be the seat of love and pity in the Old Testament world. I want to point out that word, to be moved with compassion. See, the truth is compassion demands action. It demands it. Care says, yeah, you know what? I, I wish someone would take care of them. Concern says, yeah, I wish someone would buy the young adult dinner, lunch, and take them home and give them a good meal or invite them to whatever. Or, you know, I wish that new person would get invited to group. I wish someone would go talk to the new people. That's what care and concern say. But compassion says, I see that new person and I have to go shake their hand. I have to hug them. I have to talk to them because I have compassion on them. Because, man, have you ever walked into a place like, you know, legit? You ever walk through the back door of a building in a place you've never been? And you're like, what is going to happen in here when I get here? Right? Like, man, I've, I've gone into some shady places in my life. And every time when you walk in the place, you're like, what is about to happen? <laughs> like, you know, that's how people feel when they come to church for the first time. Let me walk into a place I've never been where I feel like they're probably going to judge me and I wonder if I dressed right and I wonder if I act right and I wonder if I know the words and I wonder if my chair is going to make a noise and I have all these fears and all these and compassion says I see you, I love you so much that I'm going to go talk to you and make you feel welcome. Compassion demands action. In fact, to say that you care but not to act is not to care at all. To say that you care, but not to act, is not to care at all. Look at 1 John 3.17. Awful quiet in here now. 1 John 3.17. Whoso has this world's goods and sees his brother has need and shuts up the bowels of compassion from him, how dwells the love of God in him? Read that. Think about that. 
If you see the need and you close your heart and you say, you know what, I know they need something, but I'm not going to do it. Somebody else ought to. God says, how does the love of Christ even dwell in you? Look at James chapter 2, verse 14. This is James, the brother of Jesus. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things. How good is that? 